No Christmas is complete without the magic and the wonder of Raymond Briggs' timeless animated classics. The Snowman and Father Christmas. Yours to own on video and DVD forever. Hello, happy Christmas, everybody. Happy Christmas and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. Hi, everybody. We're back again. It's our last one ever of 2017. (laughs) You silly goose. Oh, I thought we got canceled. Welcome to another. (laughs) Yeah, we we have like four in the can that won't even air. (laughs) It's our farewell episode. Yeah. No, we're in syndication. Yeah. And odd hours against like probably sporting programs. So you won't even know it's there. It's our last episode of 2017 yes and so we've decided to continue a theme why that, not that presented itself in 2017 yeah and what is that theme Dion? we're yeah. gonna be doing movies on the sevens particularly 1987s <laughs> last week we surprised everybody with the 1977 epic star wars that was our little christmas present gift or our hanukkah present or your or <laughs> our kwanzaa. kwanzaa present or if you're a um, if you're just not- Jehovah Witness, it was just an extra episode. <laughs> we don't want to <laughs> whatever 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 your your it denomination was our, it is. It was our gift to you. Yeah, um, and uh, this that was from '77, and that was an epic. And this week we're coming back, and we're doing one last '87. '87. We've so we've, many '87s. Yeah, we've done so many '87s this year. We might have done every. I, we can't even name them all. No, we can't even name them I all. I'm not even going to attempt it. I was about to try to unreal them off. But we we got, don't got time for that. Over the top, Robocop. <laughs> Um, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors. Maybe Babysitter, Adventures in Babysitting. Adventures in Babysitting. Maybe Predator. Master Universe? I don't Master remember. Master Universe. That uh, might have been, I can't remember. Master Universe. Lost Boys, which Lost has a little tie into this one. Which has a little, little tie on to this. Dream Warriors has a weird tie into this, too. Um, Dream Warriors. Take me through the night. <laughs> See that little, that little medley there? We went into a whole different thing. <laughs> Uh, we had we had a couple more too. Uh, what else is from '87? We have uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I still say is from '87, <laughs> even though it's not. Even though it's not, it's it's always gonna live in my heart as '87. Um, and there's so many more movies that you know. I love Angel Heart '87. We didn't do this year. Yeah. I love uh, Brian De Palma's Untouchables. We didn't do this year '87. There are uh, movies from '87 that we did in previous years, like I think Monster Squad. Monster Squad's '87. Yeah, connection Which has a little bit of yeah, connection. This connection this bad bad boy right here. But this this year, this episode, this holiday season, we're doing Christmas centric episodes, and. Um, this is a little loose. It's not as two two weeks ago. Uh, our episode proper, we did the night they saved Christmas from 1984, and that was uh, very Christmas centric because they had to save Christmas. Yeah, this one is Christmas was at stake. Christmas was at stake for <laughs> Christ's sakes, uh, and we, we ended up really enjoying that one. This one just takes is a story that just takes place around. Christmas yes, time. well, we tend to do that. Yeah, what well, we and tend to like. Okay, so for Halloween. Well, we we we've we've have a we uh, have tradition. We have a we have a tradition where for Halloween we'll do an older horror movie. That's what I like to do, and then for uh, 
the Halloween day proper, we do a Halloween centric movie, which is like a um, it takes place on on, on the Halloween day. <laughs> and then with this one here is for Christmas, we like to do a Christmas movie. Yeah, that's related to Christmas or Santa or the season. And then we also try to throw in a movie that necessarily doesn't have to do with Christmas, but it takes place around the Christmas holiday. In the past, there was one year where we didn't really do a big Christmas centric movie. No, we did. Um, we did because the first year we did Ernest Saves Ernest Christmas, Saves Christmas was, which was our Christmas centric movie. Yeah, and then we did Black Christmas, which Bob was Clark our horror movie, horror, which is one of our favorite and particularly your favorite casts we've done. That's is up in the top ten. Uh, and then the f- next year we did. Um, what the fuck did we do? I don't know. How many years we've been doing? This? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I remember last I year we did we did the Star Wars holiday special. Yeah, which which, which <laughs> I still say is is it's a doozy. It's a doozy because as we've pointed out, it is the probably the longest conversation you'll ever hear two people talk about the Star Wars holiday special, and it is the most positive <laughs> discussion you'll ever and, and probably ever had on, on about the and, and i we still stand by what we said in that cast we think oh, we, i'm not taking anything back yeah i think we we uh and we started a tradition of having art carney show up <laughs> <laughs> you know it was we were going to try b arthur or or uh what's his face <laughs> harvey corman but we just couldn't find but we've done gremlins we did that was probably the second year yeah so we did gremlins it, but with the Chuck Norris movie. Invasion USA. <laughs> Invasion USA. So, so the Christmas classic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the first year we had, we had Black Christmas and we had uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Ernest Saves Christmas being the real Christmas-centric movie. Black Christmas taking, around, taking place around Christmas time. But that's Christmas Eve, ain't it? It's, yeah, well, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. Because they all go away, right? They, most of the girls leave. Yeah. yeah. Next year we do uh, Gremlins, which is Christmas proper. And then we do Invasion USA taking place around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Last year we did Star Wars Halloween, uh, Star Wars Holiday Special, and then we did the Santa Claus. We did Santa Claus the movie. Santa Claus the movie. Yeah, with Dudley not Moore. The Santa Claus. Yeah, not the Tim Allen movie. We did the Dudley Moore John Lithgow movie, or John Lithgow, whichever way you go. And then this year we did the the completely forgotten diamond in the rough gem that no one's heard of, uh, the night they saved Christmas, starring Art Carney, Jacqueline Smith, directed by. Uh, Jackie, Jackie Cooper. Cooper with Paul Williams as well. We love Paul Williams. Uh, and that was Paul Williams that showed up on the cast too before. Uh, that has nothing to do with this one. <laughs> but I'm we thinking now. Have, there's a lot of repeat. Now that we're in our fourth year. Yeah, we're getting a lot of like uh, people yep. coming back to visiting the show. You know, it's like having John Denver come over and, we and have, have a cup of coffee. Uh, we have some returns for this we one. We have a slew of returns in this one. So this year we're doing Lethal Weapon from 1987. This, this bad boy's turning 30 this year. And... Um, this was a movie for me uh, I absolutely loved when it came out because uh, this coincided with my father. We, uh, when this came out, he ordered Columbia House. Uh-huh. So the, the thing with Columbia House was like, you know, you buy five movies for a penny and you got to pay retail on one movie. And you got the next two for $300. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and people don't realize it's, it's odd because at the time when you wanted to buy a VHS, they were like 100 bucks. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah, because I don't know. Because you would buy it, because I guess the the idea was, because you're buying it or re, you're buying it like it, you know that was like that's what, why the video that's why the video rental places became so big because they would buy it for a hundred bucks and then they're making money and then they're and then after you know a thousand rentals <laughs> they yeah, get their money back you know they're making profit and that's probably why originally 
um, in the 80s when you had the video rental places, they didn't have too many copies. Like by the time I worked at like a, yeah, yeah. a video store, you know, you'd have like 100 copies of whatever, whatever movie's coming out that's going to be a big release, you know, because they knew there'd be demand. But back in the day, they may only have one copy of Batman. And you're like, shit, you got to get on that list, you know, or, yeah, or yeah. you got to you know, grease the palm of the guy to be able to give it to you. So this movie was uh, my father joined the Columbia House videos and we got – he. Uh, and it was 87 because this movie had just come out so he he got let's see if I remember this correctly he got this movie Lethal Weapon he got Aliens he got uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure for me and then he got Above the Law no Above the Law is 88 so this must have been 88 the next year this had just come out so with the Steven Seagal movie yeah, where, yeah. where I think he was still spelling his name with an I in it Steven Seagal Seagal or whatever the, his first movie uh, big favorite of mine and I don't remember what movie he ended up having to pay uh, full price for it. but then he also got like all the S- Star Trek movies yeah, we, had, yeah. we had one f- one through four those are the ones where if you put them on their sides the spines spell out Star Trek you know mm-hmm. and they have like the, you can see the Enterprise coming out of like space dock you know yeah, right? yeah. Uh, we had like Ben-Hur we had a whole bunch of movies from those you know f- from those big oh, The Godfathers but this wasn't on the infamous videotape this was not on that the infamous <laughs> that had Karate Kid into trans- into Karate Kid into Terminator into Commando and then coming out in after Commando into Cloud City of Empire Strikes Back. The last half hour of Empire Strikes yeah. Back. Uh, we still have that tape. All taped off HBO. So, Hubbo. so when this movie came out, it was huge. I played the crap out of this, loved it. Um, I at some point knew it word for word and then probably by like 89, I, you know... <laughs> I stopped watching it, but Started then gathering dust. On yeah, the show. and then when Lethal Weapon Two came out, uh, I loved Lethal blew Weapon it all, Two. Blew the dust. Yeah, <laughs> put it back in. And Lethal Weapon Two was another movie that I watched the crap out of. And these two, Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon Two, I hold in a very high regard because my personal opinion is three and four weren't nearly as good as one and two. Mm-hmm. You know, three was okay, and I didn't like four really at all. Uh, but. Yeah, this was huge for, for me when I was little, you know, and, and for me, it also it kind of feels like it set a lot of, uh, set forth in motion a lot of the things you end up seeing for the next decade or so. It kind of shifts the the, the, the gears in a way where it, it helps start to get out of the uh, ridiculous, ambiguous action Schwarzenegger movies. You get this and then you get Die Hard the next year, and that kind of sets forth the, you know... Uh, not a, not one guy with muscles killing thousands of people. Yeah. I won't say they're semi believable, but they're you know. What I mean? But at the same time, um, watching this now, yeah, thirty years later. Yeah, when was the last time you seen this? I don't know, man. It's been a really fucking long time since yeah. I've watched this movie. Uh, it's been at least it's been over a decade. Okay, it might be over two decades. Yeah, because um, I want to see what you're going to say because. I think but, I, but watching it now, like, and I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that this is a bad thing, uh, but because of convention, it plays almost like parody in a lot of places. Yeah, or it's cliche. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like but that's the problem you have with like a Dirty Harry or like those, you know, it's it's really having to have to put your nostalgia cap on and see when it came out. Like for me. I revisited this for the first time probably in 2010 or 11 around Christmas time. I bought my dad that director's cut that came out, so I watched that. And I was kind of like, this is it. Like To me, I, I, it was kind of like the first idea that I've talked about on other episodes where 
you when you revisit these movies you you remember so much more and you just yeah, yeah. and it's this is just it's just cut and dry it's just there's no subplot or you know it's just this is the plot and you're just like oh okay it's just <laughs> a to b you know there's not like nowadays movies have to be like you know you have to have all this other kind of crap in it and, and nuance artsy stuff you know and it's like there's so much other subtextual layers where this is kind of just yeah cut and dry it's an action movie you know you have some archetypes they have conflicts you know, every scene in this movie basically forwards the plot, and then you have a, a resolution at the end, you know? Yeah, and it's a ridiculous resolution. Yeah, you know. But it, it's of the time. It's of, Yeah, and it was, comp- <laughs> it, at the time, it's like, like back then, it was, it's it was completely believable. It, it was suitable to have them just be like, you know what, instead of arresting you, let's just fight. Let's fight it out. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to let everybody, you know. And we'll let all, and we'll push all the other cops back. And just let them go. I mean, there's a lot of things in this movie. has nothing to do with obstructing justice. Or not, yeah, or beating the, you know, or they didn't even Mirandize the guy yet, you know, or, or you know, or any kind of thing. They yeah, just, see, even one part, isn't there? They're going to do one part, they're like, I would read you your rights, but you know your rights. Yeah, you're, you already know your rights already. So <laughs> like, no, you right. can't not read the guy <laughs> yeah. the rights. Haven't you seen <laughs> Dirty Harry? <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of parts in this movie now that, you know. But it's fun. Yeah. You know. I mean, the, the, he jumps off a building in this movie. I mean, you know, I, you would think there. I, I mean, it's even funny at the point now where we have, um, what's her name? Who's in this movie that, that you love, who shows up as the mother in, um, or she's, she's in what, Die Hard as well. Isn't she the... Um, is she the? She's not the wife in Die Hard, but she's somebody in Die Hard. She plays a psychiatrist that you really like. Uh, what's her name? Her. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I don't particularly have any fun. She plays the mother of Monster Squad. That's right? what I'm talking. Yeah, Mary Ellen um, <laughs> Trainer. Uh, she's like pleading with this captain, like you know, he's 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 not faking it. He's really crazy. <laughs> you need to get him off the street. And then the captain's just like, well, you know what? If he kills himself, you were right. <laughs> you know, if he yeah. hurts somebody else, we know he's trying to get a psycho pension. Now, what do you? Why do you think that there are there's like this subgenre of action movie that takes place over the holiday season? You know, Die Hard. This Rambo First Blood, <laughs> First Blood, um, Invasion USA. Like, why do you think it's just like the dichotomy of the peaceful? What's supposed to be like a peaceful? Like, I think it's yeah. season. Well, it's a, it's a good juxtaposed against like Carnage, Die Hard Two as well. I think it's a good backdrop. I mean, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, for the most part, like the holiday seasons and Christmas seasons, and you know, and a lot of times there is Christmas classics movies. And uh, I don't know, my, my speculation, since you're hitting me this without having me th- yeah, oh. <laughs> thinking about it through, I, I mean, I bet you if I came back in a week, I'd be, able, I'd be able to tell you something better. But I wonder if it's just since it is a tradition that we all know at some point, if you like Christmas or not, you have to go through seeing the lights up, going to the sails, seeing trees everywhere, seeing menorahs, seeing nativity scenes. Yeah. Maybe since it is a thing that we all take part of if we want to or not it is a little more believable to have a um quote unquote fantastic uh fantastical action movie take place with behind you know maybe it grounds it in a level of believability because since we all have to go through this yeah you know what i mean that 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 it you know and it also gives a movie staying power you know a lot of these movies become i mean we were just talking to somebody a couple weeks ago uh somebody had messaged us messaged us through the facebook page talking about you know uh christmas movie and what do you term a christmas movie and this is something i I go back and forth these are the kind of discussions we have with (laughs) listeners yeah yeah (laughs) 
And, you know, this is something I go back and forth with with my wife where, you know, we, we both love Christmas and we'll watch the crap out of Christmas movies and we have a fondness for going back and watching Christmas movies that people may forget, like The Bishop's Wife or The Shop Around the Corner. Uh, it happened on Fifth Avenue. Stuff that, you know, isn't just Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life. And that's fun rediscovering movies that are Christmas movies from back then that have all the the points that we made last couple weeks ago with the night they saved Christmas, you know, poignant, warm, uh, uplifting. Uh, but then there's another genre of Christmas movies that are like this, that, that aren't necessarily a Christmas movie, yeah. but they take place at Christmas. And so then does that technically term them as a Christmas movie? Is Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie just because it takes place at Christmas time? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie just because it takes place at Christmas time? Uh, uh, Invasion of the Body uh, Invasion USA. <laughs> Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah. That could have been around Christmas. It could have been, been around Christmas. Uh, Gremlins. Um, yeah. Uh, Rambo First Blood. You know, there's all these movies that, you know, just because there's a, there's a uh, you know, a, a, a tree in the background. Goodfellas, there's a tree at some point. You know, where Panero's <laughs> telling them, like, you know, you got stuff to buy stuff. Like decades, I know, you know? but if, if that's the extreme. If there's a Christmas tree in it at one point, you know, uh, they got to go kill stacks. Yeah, I just want to, I mean, sacks, I, I, I mean. guess from a creative standpoint, you know, there's the juxtaposition of Christmas versus violence. I mean, I guess. I wonder if there's like a like a business aspect to it. Like, we want to have a big action movie come out in December this year yeah you know and so let's set it at christmas and that way when it comes out it's but this is weird because this lethal weapon came out in march yeah so it wasn't even around christmas time and that happens a lot like it's a wonderful life i think came out in like july now now this was written by shane black who i love who uh co-wrote his first appearance was on monster squad because he wrote co-wrote monster squad with uh fred decker uh, and but this year he he showed up because we did Predator and he he he, he had a played Hawkins Hawkins and Predator and then he was down there supposedly they got him down there to do a rewrite, uh, but he didn't want to redo a rewrite so that's why they just killed him and off he's quickly. Currently directing Predators, yes, the it, the movie. But uh, Shane Black, the Christmas thing has become a bit of a motif for him because this I believe Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is his directorial debut. Love that. Yep. I think that takes place around Christmas. Does Last Boy Scout take place around Christmas? I haven't seen that in years, but oh, I feel I like seen that. that forever. That but might, but the, the, uh, the other Iron Man three, I think, yep. takes place that's Christmas. Christmas. And then I just saw, which I absolutely loved, the uh, the Good Guys. With okay, yeah, that might I might be wrong, but that might take place at Christmas time. But it's in L.A. in the seventies. That might be Christmas themed. Um, I forget. There's some, there's some other ones. I don't. That, yeah, but I. I mean, it's a great trope because it does give you staying power. I mean, if you have a, if you take a movie like uh, Above the Law, like we just said, great action movie, in my own opinion, but it may just get fall through the wayside. But if you add the Christmas allure to it, like uh, horror movies, you know, we have a lot of horror movies that take place at Christmas time. Silent Night, Deadly Night, yeah. uh, Black Christmas. Um, I don't know if you would term Gremlins a horror movie. Um, but a lot of the... Krampus. Well, I mean, I guess they're very yeah, Christmas-centric, yeah. aren't they? You know, uh, or you have comedies, Four Christmases, or um, Love Actually is a romantic com, more romantic comedy, but that's now instilled itself and I think will become... Uh, for generations a staple Christmas story um, so anyway. I think it's a good you know because you don't really see mu- people doing <laughs> you know a Easter action movies you know or, <laughs> or even Thanksgiving yeah. you know you have we, we, we were doing 
a, a tradition of trying to do Thanksgiving movies. And we got planes, trains, and automobiles out the first year. We did Dutch the second year. Then we kind of dried up. I mean, there's sure there's other there's ones. There's more. We just, we just returned back to it. Yeah, and it's a hard. Th- then we also try to f- have to figure out if it's suitable for our yeah. purposes here. Because uh, then we were also. That's another instance where like. The well can run dry quickly. Yeah, well, the run dry, and it also kind of runs dry because, like, we're the only ones that celebrate it. Yeah. I and mean, I guess that, like, Canada has their own Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is on a different date, but, but, like, it's a very specific American thing. Yeah, it's not really so much in the world. People understand it, but they don't, yeah, necessarily celebrate it. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, but it, it certainly gives you a staying power, and people start rewatching it. I mean, I, I guess if you took Christmas out of Elite the Weapon, it would still be a good movie, but. For me, I always associate this and Die Hard very much hand-in-hand hand with Christmas and maybe even Die Hard 2. Uh, you know, like when I suggested years ago us doing um, Escape from um, um, Invasion USA, you know, I remember growing up it being a Christmas movie because there's a lot of Christmas-centric parts, but you're like, it's a Christmas movie, you know? <laughs> so it's like that's another movie where that's fallen by the wayside. The only part I remember being Christmas-centric is when they blow up the house. The guy blows up the houses, and you can see Yeah, they're putting trees the star on and all that kind of <laughs> But when they go into the mall, like... Oh, yeah, maybe. You know, yeah. But, the, but for me, that was the, the most fucked up parts of that movie were involving Christmas. You know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're running people over in a mall or they're... Yeah, they're, they got like a law and they're blowing up, uh, you know, houses. My God. <laughs> I mean, to that that's still the, the violence. Still that shocked that still shocking. more people didn't listen to that episode. The, the Invasion USA. It's because that's a good movie. It's a good Chuck Norris. I mean, Chuck Norris is. That's why people like Chuck Norris is that movie. You know? know, he's got some badass. Uh, I mean, I guess it's probably not as famous as some of the other ones. But also, the problem too with Chuck Norris is Chuck Norris. You know, he that he he could arguably hit his peak in eighty five or so with that movie because he he had been big from the late 70s and when when stallone and and schwarzenegger came on the scene and kind of took over the the uh the helm you know he did the missing in actions norris but then into the 90s he was doing like texas walker texas ranger or he did like a couple made for tv or yeah. straight to videos or he did sidekicks but he wasn't still cranking them out so this also marks uh such still, since schwarzenegger's come up a few times this remarks the return of joel silver yes who, who and- produced this movie who uh i think when we did commando we talked about joe silver yeah. joel silver and I might have said like he he was induct, probably instantly inducted into the Sleepover Movie Hall of Fame because if you look at this guy's credits, Joel Silver's on, yeah, it's like there's like over a decade of just knocking it out him. of the park. It's like all the, it's like forty eight hours and the fucking Warriors. Yeah, <laughs> he, next year he ends up doing an eighty eight. He does Com- Die Hard, Commando, Die Hard, all the way through the Matrix. You know what Commando needed? Commando needed to take place at Christmas time. If you if you had if you had him uh, swinging in that mall on some garland instead of like uh, lights or whatever part of the montage with him Alyssa Milano was like putting up the tree and yeah it'd be a decorating and it could be like a white tree like right out of Goodfellas you know, one of those, you know <laughs> I mean like that and like you know and she she drops a bauble and it's he's like, like oh big montage where you see he was chopping down trees and you think he's chopping wood yeah but he's Kicking a Christmas tree, but he's out. bringing a tree. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's see? bringing a Christmas tree up for Alyssa Milano. You know, I mean, classic. Well, I don't know why. I mean, granted, we were too young at that time, but I don't know why people don't ask us for ideas. They should, yeah, it's like that. And then on the movie that I always bring up, Trancers, that's a Christmas centric movie. There's so I don't know. That is a bigger question. To uh, that's almost like a theory book of why. What's the value <laughs> of 
having like why would you what's the point i mean that is it is a conscious decision certainly with shane black it's becoming like a like a common theme of him setting him at christmas time so maybe it does have something to do with the uh the, the collective experience that everybody has you know yes but joel silver produced this we did joel silver with commando like i just said i mean if you just look at like his imdp page or wikipedia and you just look at the list it's like sleepover movie sleepover <laughs> knocking it out of the park with action and and everything i mean i was gonna list them but there was just too damn many yeah there's too many of them. it was like i would have had like four pages of just like movies he's certainly for our age group it, he he was a uh and a, a critical part of our childhood and we talked about this movie a bit uh, earlier this year with another 1987 movie, The Lost Boys. Yes. And Joel Sil- did Joel Silver have anything to do? It was just no, Donner, Richard Donner. Who directed this movie. But Richard Donner was originally going to direct The Lost Boys, and then it got like caught up in some kind of development or something, and then he moved on to do The Lost Boys, and I mean to do Lethal Weapon, and decided not to direct The Lost Boys, and he produced The Lost Boys, yeah. and his wife brought in, suggested that they get Joel Schumacher to direct lost boys so uh and then there's a little nod to yeah the lost boys the marquee the, the marquee and the towards the beginning of the movie which i remember when i was little i used to always see and i i felt like that was like an inside joke i only realized like look it says lost boys up on the screen here you know and also because it's the same year like it's i love that it's like the lost boys like today this year's big hit or something. yeah yeah it's lost boys <laughs> like, you know? like projecting yeah, it, because clearly it wasn't a hit yet when they shot that. Yeah, I mean it's like it 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 harkens back to like uh, like Dirty Harry when the scene with him coming out and, and foiling the bank robber you have in the marquee in the background which you can't see unless you have the widescreen version. It's Don Siegel to play Misty for me up on the marquee. You know, I mean there's a lot of nods to Dirty Harry from this movie, uh, but yeah, and, and this when I was little, f- f- growing up, for some reason I always thought and how silly of me that every movie's title was somewhere set in the movie. Uh-huh. You know, you, you, I Which, remember... This is... Exactly. <laughs> so that, that's why I'm bringing this up. Because I remember when I was little watching Maximum Overdrive and then them saying, like, at one point, like, the, the you know, I think the girl and Amelia have sleep together and they're, like, having the talk afterward and she's like, it's just like the whole world went into Maximum Overdrive. And I was like, I checked. I was like, <laughs> see? I was like, and then this one, where, you know, at the beginning... <laughs> Put the tip uh, on your tongue for the The pencil, and then... Ooh, and then check it right off you know, your and list. And then that was the same thing with this one, where it's like, you know, I guess we must have to register you as a lethal weapon. I was like... <laughs> check. You know? So I, when I was little, I used to always look to see where... Good for you. He's a good guy. He's a good fella. <laughs> you know, I, I was always looking for uh, where the where the, you know... The, uh, the 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 name was said, and I believed that until like my early teens. I was like, oh, well, that doesn't have to be. Then when I saw Reservoir Dogs, I'm like, I don't, I don't get it, you know. Or Sorcerer, I'm like, what the fuck? Shut up, you Reservoir Dog. Yeah, it's a deleted scene, you know. So that was I used to believe that at the time. Um, we got Richard Donner helming this. Who, uh, geez, he did uh, the Omen, the Omen from the '70s, which was huge at the did time. Superman, did Superman, Superman. Superman. Did he do Superman two as well? He because started the, because yeah. they shot Superman and Superman. Boy, that'll 2. be fun to do. What right sometime when we ever get the Superman? Yeah, they did. Well, they were shooting them at the same time. Yeah, the Donner and then cut. they were falling too far behind schedule, so they brought somebody in to kind of finish Superman two. Yeah, and then they took a lot of the violence out of it, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. This the uh, so, they, so Goonies, Goonies. Yeah. Uh, so he did a lot of stuff at the time. Yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> and a few others too. Yeah, so um, let's see. You get this movie here. You have Shane Black. 
Shane Black's right out of school. And I find it very interesting that they say the first movie he did, uh, he wrote a script which never got made called Shadow Company. And it was about uh, ex-Special Forces uh, who are come back as... It, it, it basically was a zombie action movie, which is very ahead of its time because, I mean, at the time you had like Day of the Dead, uh, Return of the Living Dead, those zombie movies. But nowadays, since zombies probably are pettering out, for, for the past 10 years, we've had everything zombie. Yeah, well, you also you know? got to take into account he's a, he's a college uh, friend and a colleague of... Fred Decker and Night of the Creeps. Just before this was Night of the Creeps, right? Yeah. Did, and did he have anything to do with Night of the Creeps? No, but that's where he met Tom Atkins because he was just on set, like helping out. Oh, and that's how he got Atkins. Out. And that's how, so is that how Atkins got his role here? I believe. I think Atkins says something like, "I remember meeting this kid, and he was telling me about this action movie that the script had gotten optioned, and and so the story goes. I don't know if it's true, but that it was Shane Black that suggested Atkins. And it's a good role for Tom Atkins because, you know. Yeah, because Atkins had been floating around, you know, in Carpenter territory and yeah, another, horror world. and Yeah, you know. so it's a, good, it's a good mainstream to throw him in. And this movie is an example of a, an insane alternate cast that this movie could have had. A completely different movie in What If World. Yeah. But, um... You know, yeah, Atkins has a great part in this movie. We, we did Atkins. We've, he's already been in Escape from New York. We did Halloween 3. We did Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll do The Fog. Uh, Creep Show we'll I'm do. I'm sure we'll do Creep Show at some point. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to the remake of My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> but we might. Yeah. You never know. Um, and like I've it's said. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun movie. Uh, and uh, so two evil eyes, two evil eyes. The uh, the, the Romero, Romero and Argento, Argento um, I'll get Edgar Allan Poe mashup. Uh, but Shane Black writes this movie called Shadow Company about uh, a special forces. It's a zombie horror movie, and it's it's about these special forces teams in Vietnam that end up getting killed. They're buried, and then like around, I think it's around during Christmas night, they they <laughs> yeah. come back from the dead. They raid like a like a gun store, and these zombies just kill this town of people. Like they blow it to smithereens. Kind of very Nightmare City, which is an Italian zombie movie where they run around with guns and shit. And for me, it's also very much like Universal Soldier. Yeah, you know what I mean. Except Universal Soldier is that there. It's a government program. This is more. You know, it's like a supernatural, whatever the hell. But it sounds very intriguing to me. And they evidently, the the story was that this was in production. They had John Carpenter in mind to direct the darn movie. And uh, Kurt Russell was going to be in it as well. But then, I don't know, for whatever reason, it just never got off the ground. Uh, And that was supposed to be around 88 or 89. Uh, But he used elements, I guess, from researching that movie. Uh, He took elements of that to bring into this movie, Lethal Weapon, the script he pens here. And and that's because, like, you know, Mel Gibson's character in this movie had worked for the Shadow Company, quote unquote. So maybe there's a connection there that, you know, there's a like, you see like in Quentin Tarantino world, all those movies interconnect. So maybe that was going to be the joke that, that, you know, that this zombie Nazi or zombie squad of, you know, that would have been (laughs) his Shadow Company, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but in getting that movie off the ground, it never gets produced, but I guess the studio likes it so much. The, the, who who reads it? They like how he writes character. They like how he writes plot. How he likes writes action. So they look at his other stuff, and he ends up writing this lethal weapon. And he gets he starts shopping it around, and uh, uh, some people look at it, they like it, but I guess they they think it's too too dark. And then what yeah. they end up what they end up doing is they bring in another uh, 
Right. Well, he finally like uh, he takes it to his agent takes it to Warner Brothers and I guess whoever's an executive over there, Mark Hanton. He reads it and he likes it and he gives it to Joel Silver. Yeah, they've been shopping it around and been getting denied, and Warner finally likes it. Yeah, Warner Brothers likes it and they give it to Joel Silver and they say, "Hey, what do you think about this?" Hey, what do you think it is? <laughs> and he liked it enough to then apparently he worked with Shane Black to kind of rework it a little bit to develop it more because apparently it was pretty dark. His original intention was to do like an urban western um with a lot of uh influence from from dirty harry and apparently it was, it was just like a lot darker and so joel silver works with him and then which is funny because this movie is pretty dark on the face of it for 80s yeah yeah you know i mean so you only just well, even one like more... donner says like there's still a lot of violence but it's like western violence you know it's like people getting shot by by guys it's not like people getting dismembered yeah yeah <laughs> which i mean who knows what <laughs> that line kind of indicates like what might have been <laughs> going on in, in some of the earlier drafts of the script and they even go through they think about who's going to direct it and at the time oddly enough leonard nimoy was a big director because yeah. he had had a couple of hits with the star wars Star Trek movies, uh, Star Trek three and Star Trek four. And, uh, he wasn't interested in doing it because of the violent aspect of it, but he was also, I think working on or finishing three men and a baby. I didn't think he was a little apprehensive of doing it. He didn't know if he can helm an action like, like movie. A, like, a, like a full out action yeah, movie. Cause he's doing three men and a little baby. And, uh, it's just kind of like, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so he... Uh, well, they, they actually also look at Ridley Scott, and then Ridley Scott had such issues with Warner Brothers from the Blade Runner, which we talked about a couple months ago in our Blade Runner cast, so then I guess they pass it to Donner. Donner, by that point, had done Goonies. He must have been coming off of Goonies, right? And he was, like, yeah. like we said, he was working on uh, Lost Boys. Yeah, fucking Lost Boys. He was working on the fucking Lost Boys here. Yeah. And... <laughs> And uh, he uh, he was originally going to do Lost Boys more in the vein of the Goonies with younger kids. Yeah. and But eventually, it just went too long in development. He got interested in doing Lethal Weapon, and he moved over. And when he went to Lethal Weapon, he brought on uh, another writer, Jeffrey Baum. Uh, doesn't, a, he doesn't get credit. As uncredited, but apparently Jeffrey Baum's the one that kind of lightened it up a little bit and added a lot of the humor. And then Jeffrey Baum ends up writing like the rest of the he, Lethal Weapon movies. The, the second um, script that Shane Black writes for Lethal Weapon 2 is rejected because, again, it's too dark. So Bomb completely rewrites that. I don't know if he gets a credit there, but then, yeah, he writes the third one that gets made, and then he writes the fourth one that doesn't get made, but then he still says he liked his script better than the movie that ended up getting made for four because his script dealt with neo-Nazis and a group of, I guess very much like what's his face from falling down, that kind of, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. that kind of a guy. And he, he says, you know, because I guess there's too many cooks in the kitchen with lethal weapon four. And I, I didn't care that much for lethal weapon four aside from, I haven't seen lethal weapon four since it was on the movie. Jet Lee, Jet Lee's amazing in it. But, but that's what I didn't like where the lethal weapon series, uh, starts off serious, but then you have jokes and lethal weapon two, for me, uh, my opinion's great sequel. Have jokes, but then when you get to three, it kind of jumps to sharks and it becomes almost like a comedy. Yeah. Then by four, it's like you got Chris Rock in there, like doing jokes. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just a comedy that has action in it, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. almost like Loaded Weapon, which is a playoff of this. It's kind of like in that realm. So I, I, you know, I think they were successfully in the first two able to toe that line of having a good action movie with some comedy in it, you know, and then it, it you know, you're toeing the line, but then when you get to three, you have, you know, Joe. Uh, 
Joe Pesci's in there. Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. <laughs> Not Joe Piscopo. Joe Pesci. So so yeah, Bomb. He t- he takes a lot of stuff out because I mean there was a, there was a, a, a diff- they had a different start in this where like uh, to introduce Mel Gibson's character where he's he's at a bar drinking he beats up some guys then they had another uh, start where they were gonna have him like. Um, uh, find people on the beach like uh, hurting the dog. He's yeah. drunk, so he beats those guys up, takes the dog home. I'm glad they didn't have that. And then uh, there is, and I guess they shot the bar stuff, the one yeah, with him at the bar. you can find it on YouTube and stuff. Yeah, which we can include as an extra here. And uh, some of that stuff also shows up in uh, trailers that they had for the movie, TV and film trailers. There's a lot of the, the different takes or extended shots or scenes that you know they didn't end up putting in the final cut. And there was apparently a big, huge, like elaborate set piece at the end with a chase, yeah, with a helicopter and, and, uh, and a truck and the yeah, the bag of cocaine. Yeah, the general, the general is in the truck and uh, they end up blowing up him over the Hollywood sign and the truck blows up with him in it and then the 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 coke rains down on the Hollywood sign like it's snow and uh, there's a big set piece of uh, Mel Gibson going after uh, Gary Busey and then he kills him by like sticking his hands in his eyes so uh, it's just funny you say that because I just finished watching The Punisher oh series yeah Netflix series yeah I did too and there was a lot of I felt like especially when like the exposition with Tom Atkins it seemed a lot like what's going on in The Punisher show Oh yeah, the shadow. Well, that well, that's the true. There, there was a well in in the seventies. There was a real. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure this was really happening. That they were actually taking bodies in Vietnam, and they were they were transporting heroin in the bodies, and uh, they end up using that plot device in the Punisher series. Yeah, you know, but they make it. In and then there's Middle like, East. obviously there's torture and shit and the, there's just like having just finished watching the Punisher series and then watching this I was like seems to be a lot of crossover yeah a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stuff happening there there's also like that element of like the odd couple you know partnership in both the Punisher and this which is I think why it makes this movie kind of work in a lot of ways yeah I mean I from from watching this again uh, after watching revisiting a couple of years ago it played much more uh, better for me this time around and yeah I think there is a really great chemistry between Danny Glover and Mel Gibson and it's and it's really fun and you know I think what really makes this movie a, a classic for people is that chemistry in that, yeah. that you know and, and it's it also like makes that, it really enjoyable and that device of like like I said like the odd couple like these guys totally different kinds of guys uh, Danny Glover, Murtaugh's a family guy, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's buttoned 50, up a little bit. He's, you know, he's, he's a little bit older. He's getting all too old for this shit. Yeah, you know, he's, 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 already, he's probably already put his 20 in, so he could be up for retirement and soon. He's, he's, you know, kind of a by-the-book kind of guy a little yeah. bit. Not as uptight as they could have made him. I yeah. Mean, he's not really uptight. Like, they could have really pushed it into that. Yeah, a F- Felix Unger kind of Yeah, character. into that, like, odd couple ter- territory. Yeah. But it's enough. Of, there's enough difference there that it adds an element that's interesting to this to their relationship that they're different enough. Yeah. Um, and then you got the the race character who's kind of crazy. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's he's the he's the Oscar Madison. Yeah, he's kind of got the <laughs> he's got the issues going on with uh, his past and all. And this is all uh, ideas you see going back from Dirty Harry, where Dirty Harry, the you know that was uh, you know one of the first movies where you have the cop being teamed up with another partner. 
And and in in the five Dirty Harry movies, he gets a new partner each movie. So the first movie he gets a Latino, the second movie he gets an African American, third is a uh, woman, the fourth I don't think he actually gets a partner, and the fifth one he gets like an Asian American. So uh, and that becomes this huge like, cliche. I mean, to the point where you know Burt Reynolds is is getting teamed up with a dog, and then, you, know I mean? <laughs> yeah. you know, or a kid. You know what I mean? So it's like that. You know, you're getting a new partner. You know, what I mean that 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 becomes like a this this huge or the volatile cop who's on the edge. I mean, I wouldn't say Eastwood's character Harry Callahan's putting a gun in his mouth every night. You know, that's not like the extreme here, but you you start to see the effects of you know war could have on people, say, or the job. But in this case, I think it's more that it's because Riggs's wife was yeah. died in a, in a car accident um, a couple of years before. That has really now put him in a very suicidal kind of a, he, you know, he doesn't, you know, he's, he wouldn't care if Might he was be killed. Less than that. Might be like 11 months ago or some shit. Well, and the tombstone, it says 84. Oh. And then this came out. In 80s. I thought the, 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 the psychiatrist said the it was. I thought the psychiatrist said it was like recently. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but that's the reasoning behind him trying to like almost get killed, you know, on the duty. He's so reckless. You know, there's so many scenes in this movie that you think nowadays they take him right out of. I mean, like the opening scene with him at the with the Christmas tree shop when they're when he's getting doing the deal. Like, yeah. you know, that him, you know, every time he's threatening to some some person putting a gun to somebody's head, <laughs> you know. Well, there's that scene which is totally kind of a joke, which I guess is it's in the director's cut, I think, where he's the sniper. And it just like walks out to the middle. Of the yeah, there's a, there's a deleted scene where there's a, there's a kid there's a there's it was gonna be darker too, but there's a deleted scene where there's a sniper in a school kill, like shooting at, a, at kids at a playground, and uh, that is almost another homage to Dirty Harry with Scorpio being the sniper in the first Dirty Harry, and then he goes out and takes out the uh, the sniper where. Um, even though they end up, they end up deleting these scenes because there's so many. You can, how many times you need to introduce them as a character? Yeah. Um, but that is, they were going to make that darker because he was going to like kill the guy with like a rocket launcher, <laughs> you know. And they were going to make it darker that you saw kids dead, or you're going to see like you know kids being taken away on stretchers. Yeah, you do see a kid getting carried down the stairs, but you don't see that he's all bloody or anything. You yeah. don't know if he's hurt or not. I mean, there's not a lot of excessive blood in this movie. I mean, there is like you know when they're beating up, you know. Um, Danny Glover near the end, but you know, it, there's not a lot of gore per se. No, no. You know what I mean? Like blood and guts that I think there might be a little more in Lethal Weapon 2 and stuff. I remember first time I saw this movie, uh, Christmas, around Christmas of 88. Because there was the only time I had just moved up uh, to Albany in the summer of 88. And Christmas 88 was the only time my brother ever came up. Uh, to to the Albany, New York area to visit. Mm. Any other time we saw my brothers, we would drive down to Philadelphia. The only time we ever came up was that first Christmas we were there. And I remember we went to Captain Video. Nice. Not the same Captain Video that you and I went to, but a Captain Video that was closer, that I think was closed by the time. That was a chain? Yeah, well, yeah. You know, There's at least a couple of them. I don't know if it was as big as Tommy K's, but uh, where you're from. But we went to Captain Video, and he... He wanted to rent Lethal Weapon. And I remember we, we went to be. You, you watched Lethal Weapon. You watched Lethal Weapon, yeah. Uh, 
That's pretty cool. So that's my that's my recollection of originally watching it. Yeah, I don't remember my original. And of I, course, the thing that really sticks out, especially when you're a kid and a boy, probably is that you see boobs pretty early. Right, right at the beginning <laughs> of the movie. I remember one of my first sleepovers at a friend's house. He's the friend who you know you'd understand is the kid that I ended up eventually trading all my Spider Mans for for his USS flag. Uh, we watched the movie with his parents we watched Lethal Weapon like and that was kind of risque to see the opening shot with some some yeah. really gorgeous um, a gorgeous girl and who I think is a stunt man and she did a stunt woman and she did that stunt herself well she jumped off the uh, I don't think she's a stunt woman because I think she's the girl that plays Woody Harrelson's girlfriend on Cheers oh okay but I think she did do the initial jump herself but who knows how far she was jumping one thing i noticed this time around that i never noticed before is that she has a very freckly chest <laughs> i guess so i was like huh i don't remember her being so darn freckly maybe it's that's the hd you know you're watching the 4k <laughs> resolution you know yeah but she so the, the yeah the movie starts off with this beautiful helicopter shot another kind of like that's a that's a, a trophy scene dirty harry at the end Which of the kind movies. of it's weird it was oddly poignant in a in a weird way because uh, a couple months ago we lost Tom Petty. Yeah, and one of my favorite songs of all time is "American Girl." Yeah, and it's supposedly about a girl, supposedly a real life scenario where a girl killed herself by jumping off of a balcony. Yeah, so I've been listening to that. I've been listening to Petty a lot since he died, and I've always loved that song and I've always loved Petty. But so. I don't know. It's just it, was, it, 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 it kind of hit home in a yeah. weird way. Well, I mean, it's a time. it's a beautiful shot, and, and what I like about it, it's all one take, and you come into the to the to the apartment and, and the apartment building, and then, you know, they they carry it as much as they can until they they cut her inside. So like you can you get to see the detail in her apartment. You see her, yeah, and they cut to her, and she's zooted out of her head. And I was o- almost wondering, like, you know, did they lace the coke with something else? Because I mean. I don't know. I mean, you must be pretty messed up on coke to be just balling that much that you're gonna just try to fly. I thought maybe she could have been laced with angel dust or something. Yeah. Well, listen to the plot that she's poisoned. <laughs> well, no, but the plot was that they they put like drain cleaner in in, in uh, some barbiturates. Yeah. So I don't think it was gonna whack her out. It was just gonna yeah, kill her. Yeah. So she ends up taking a header, and I think she did the jump from that high because what they said they did was they they I don't know how many times they had to shoot it too, but for me, I remember loving the opening. Not just beside because you see the topless girl, but I thought it was just such an effective opening because it's kind of messed up that they had they dropped a camera, so you have the camera falling as yeah. as if. And then what they also said they did too, which was pretty cool, is that they they took the 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 airbag that they had in the bottom, and they put a picture of what the ground looked like with the car on top of the bag, almost like a a, a map painting, so that. They could have her go as f- almost to the point where she hits the bag, and then they can cut it. So it's almost like her hitting the car, and they have the inside of the car. And I always found that so effective of yeah. you know being inside the car and seeing it crush like that. And you know the opening is it's it's very it's not shocking, but it's a it's a great opener. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean really reels you like what's going on. Um, the next scene you have when you have well you have you get introduced to to, to uh, Danny Glover and he's fifty he's got a beard and he's you know and they I always found that odd that they come in when he's taking a t- <laughs> bath <laughs> he's taking a bath and did you just bring up Darlene Love we brought her up yeah, we yeah. brought her up in the last cast she's the mother she's his mom he's, yeah. she's I'm sorry she's his wife in it he's got a lovely family and you know she's known for singing a couple of really great Christmas songs yeah so. I've connected to Phil Spector and the Wall of Sound. Um, 
But yeah, especially this time because I haven't seen it in so long. There's so much about it that like I didn't even remember. But yeah, like, and it's like, you know, he's got some bubbles going on, but not, but. not enough. <laughs> For, and his daughter's of the age of being, you know, you know. I mean, one thing if the kids were like four or five, I don't know, yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. But like the, you know, the the the, the daughters, I like, supposed to be like seventeen or eighteen, I would think, right, or sixteen, sixteen to eighteen, you know. So it's like, oh, okay. You well, know. there's a weird thing about this movie uh, involving her age for me, uh, but yeah, it's it is very strange that they just walk in and he's in he's in the bathtub, like yeah, he's fucking he's just hanging out. You know? <laughs> And they, don't even, they don't even knock. They just blow it in. So, but then the joke is that she says, "Oh, your beard, you're a little white in your beard." He looks, and you have the little saxophone, you know, uh, sting. And then he next scene, he, he he shaves his beard. No one notices except I think somebody at the, at the none of the family noticed he shaved his beard. He goes to work, and then when he goes to the jumper site, we have the great Don Gordon show up uh, in a cameo, who's only there for a second. He's Don Gordon. Uh, we've brought up before. He's uh, Steve McQueen's partner in Bullet. He's Steve McQueen's partner in The Towering Inferno, and he's in Papillon with uh, McQueen, too. And he's there for... And he just died, like, last year um, um, of old age. And he's there, and he's the guy that, like, has given Murtaugh the info of what happened, who yeah, people yeah. are. And then we have the intro of um, of Mel Gibson, and that, that kind of, of, you know, of him, like, waking up and drinking and, you know, the sad... And, you know, that's kind of... Um, effective you know him putting the gun in his mouth and you know and you know and that's almost like the um for me is like there's a book for people who who are interested in script writing called save the cat and and it's uh a very popular well-read uh book and it became a series of books about script structure and how you should structure a script to sell there's also this whole argument now that i've read about where people think that that is like ruining the film industry because now everybody goes by that so it's just movies are now becoming formulaic well for me i mean (laughs) because people are following the save the cat book structure yeah i'm having that issue now with a lot of um these superhero movies going back to the dark knight or like skyfall they all have the same kind of you know or now you got to turn them all into comedies like since guardian the galaxy is great we're going to turn them all into you know but anyway for the point here is save the cat what and what this what the title comes from is uh the idea of early on in your script to have your protagonist for people to like your protagonist the protagonist has to do something that people are going to like and in the in the book they cite uh there's a scene in see a love with al pacino where al pacino's a cop at the beginning of that movie they're doing one of these sting operations for people who have warrants that they're they're telling all these people hey come here and you're going to get it win a trip somewhere and then when they come in they're arresting these people and al pacino goes outside to have a cigarette and this guy comes and he's with his son and he says to the guy, to the guy hey you know you're supposed to come alone not with the son and the guy's like well i was bringing my son because we're winning tickets to like a mets game and then al pacino feels bad because he doesn't want to have the, the guy get arrested in front of his son so he tells the guy to go he says something to have the guy go away yeah and that's supposed to that's the idea that oh he's a likable guy you yeah. know you know which is where the title of the book comes from yeah exactly like, save the cat you're saving you're, you're, you have the characters do something like save a cat yeah a tree <laughs> something you have to have so, the, the, so that those audience can get behind the guy and i feel like at the beginning of it you know, him the idea of him with his wife and he's crying you know anything yet about him and he's He's putting a gun in his mouth, and he doesn't. So, you know, you can tell he's really fucked up. He's watching Family Feud with Richard Dawson in the background, you know. And that, I feel like, was the Save the Cat moment. Because after that, if you don't have that introduction in, yeah. or if you have the other introductions of him just beating up people, or I guess if he saved the dog, <laughs> no yeah, pun intended, yeah. you would feel that would work. But certainly him just beating up people at the beginning of a bar, you wouldn't have, you know, you have to be able to 
get on board for people to understand and like the journey and sympathize with a guy who's just a fucking nut jumping yeah, off yeah. buildings with people. So I found that to be effective. And then the plot moves very quickly. That's why when I said I first saw it a couple of years ago, uh, revisited, I was like, wow, I thought there was more to this. But a lot of these older movies, you don't need it to be nuanced. Yeah, just, yeah. It's, it's clear and dry or it's just then, you know, they get teamed together. Uh, you know, you're getting a new partner, you know, and you know, <laughs> and then you know, and then it's the whole them having to like, you know, work a uh, work a thing out. And it's funny too, you know, you have uh, you, you know, they're saying like it's the 1980s, and there's that subplot which would have been interesting if they explored it a little more of like them people starting to question the, the roles of masculinity. You know, they're saying that like you know, uh, we're supposed to be able to cry now because it's the 80s. You know, you're, you're not just like the cold cop of like a dirty hair or a bullet. You know, you can yeah, have these yeah. different kind of feelings and all that kind of a thing. The plot thing that I found interesting this time around because, uh, you know, like I said, first time I saw this was 1988. Yeah. So I was a little kid. Uh, so I was like 10. And, you know, like I said, maybe I've seen this one one or two more times after that. Like uh, This was never like my series. Yeah. Like you talk about two. I have, I, t I know I've seen it, but to, I can't tell you anything about this. Oh, I love two. <laughs> I've always like, said two like, to me is like a Godfather. It's like I always cite like good sequels. I'm like Empire Strikes I Back. I just have no recollection. Like, I don't know two. the plot. I can't yeah. remember the plot. I just don't remember anything about it. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything for you because there's some plot that's in Lethal Weapon mm -hmm. that gets explained in Lethal Weapon uh, 2. Maybe I'll watch yeah. Lethal Weapon yeah. 2 when I, get, when I leave. When I don't I think leave. that's a Christmas movie, but... Uh. <laughs> but uh, but it, So in my head, when I was little, you know, there's all this talk about the girl, the, the oldest daughter. Yeah. And she's got this boyfriend. Yeah. With, and, with, with dimples. Uh, but they're always like blonde hair with dimples, and they say his name, but I don't remember him saying So I always thought, from when I was little, that she's dating fucking Mr. Joshua. Because to me they were just they were just describing. Oh, ja but she's a young guy though. I was what I mean. Like it was. Oh, so you thought she was there in the abuse? <laughs> well, she's also like I'm grounded for smoking pot, but I can drink beer, which means that she's twenty. No, I think she said you guys can drink beer. She's like, what's the difference? And he's like, well, one's legal, one isn't legal. And she's like, that this is ridiculous. You know. But, no, I think she says, but if I was drinking beer, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. Which I mean, I guess it wouldn't be but because still. he's saying it's like, well, because that's. But legal. it's like, but as a kid, I was like, yeah, this is weird. Like she's dating this older guy. Well, you know, for me as a kid, I lost as much so, as the, so up until this time. I was like, oh wait, she's not dating Gary Busey. <laughs> she's not dating the Busey. Like that's in my mind as a kid. Like that's how Gary Busey kidnapped her. Hey, you know what? That would have been a good reveal. Is that you know you find out that she's she's going after some older you know uh, men and, and or he seduced her and that was like. I, but I guess they, because, they wouldn't have because like because like Gaylord and our our oh, two nights ago <laughs> you never actually see the boyfriend he's yeah. just referred to well, as this blonde guy and the only blonde guy in the movie is <laughs> is Gary Busey yeah, and, and that always, so as a kid I just made that link for me it always threw me off um, I was I I understood the plot of the movie but it threw me off when they shotgun him into the store I never understood where that came because that comes out of right field very quickly. And I had never understood. I was like, why are they shotgunning him? And then the leap of like, wait, who got killed? Because uh, it's, I always thought they said with freckles, but it's dimples, this viewing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, oh it's the boy. Okay. So I, I, I always, hard, that scene, I, it was hard for me to follow. 
why, Raj, they think I'm dead, you know? Yeah, yeah. And this is another movie for me is that I used to quote the crap out of It's not Joshua. Or like, you are crazy, Ray. <laughs> like, it, it used to be. Or uh, another one for me was, they're going to bust Dixie. And then like, you know, like, a tattoo like Popeye? Popeye tattoo? Not like Popeye. You know, like, you know, that, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all, this was a very quotable movie through my childhood with my friends who really um, knew this. So they get paired together. Uh, you have the scene with the Christmas trees, which is very funny because one of the guys in it, I didn't know, who, is the father to the, what's his face from Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony, is that his name, Anthony something? Something, yeah. Uh, and uh, that's, again, sets up Mel Gibson. He's a nut, you know, and that right there, I think he should have been taken off. You know, they should have asked him what the hell is going on because he drew his weapon, he shot a couple people, and then he puts the, you know, he's like, do you really want to die? And he puts the gun to the guys, you know, everyone's like, okay, calm yeah. down. Then the next scene, when he teams up with Danny Glover, they go to the jumper site again, right out of Dirty Harry, which is the scene in Dirty Harry that you said you had no use for, the one that Eastwood directed that scene where Eastwood has to go up. But this is the 80s version of that. Instead of Eastwood going up in a cherry picker, talking to the guy to get him mad, and he knocks the guy out to bring him down, Mel Gibson just handcuffs himself and just jumps down with the guy. You know, so it's kind of another kind of... It was the thing is if you watch like the director's cut, like it's just another example of him being crazy. Yeah. You know, so there really is no point in that. But that, you have all the other stuff in there. Yeah, you don't really... <laughs> like, all right, we get it. He's fucking crazy. You know, but I see... In, <laughs> He's in, got a death wish. We got it. In the, in, the, in, the, in the 80s, when that movie... when See, it's also... Yeah, it's like stuff that you would be able to just explain away in the 80s of being wow he is crazy that's you know because that was a big part like wow he jumps off a building in the movie and that was like awesome but now when you watch it it doesn't necessarily seem needed for plot but also i mean you know we're living in la la land but it's like everybody at the scene would have he would have been brought up on charges with witnesses <laughs> you know what i mean everyone saw it happen they could hear him yeah he's even in earshot danny glover's listening, like oh no Riggs, don't do that because <laughs> it's not that far yeah i mean he, he jumps my like head four stories was like so. this guy wants to kill himself by jumping off a building you should pick a fucking tall oh, i'm sure he would have died if he just jumps you know what <laughs> I mean? this guy would end up a quadriplegic <laughs> worse than he was before he started he hits a car or something like that so um you have that aspect, and then, you know, you all crazy rigs. You know, and he's like, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get a hot dog or something. Then the next scene you introduce. Well, uh, the thing is, they just ate a hot dog. He's like, I'm hungry. I was like, you just ate a hot dog before the last scene. Well, you know, I like the, um, the, you know, Mel Gibson. I think he has some cool scenes in the movie where, I mean, he. I guess people can argue he's overacting, but I like when he's. He's that craziness. Yeah. But then yeah. he's able, like that scene when they go into the, the, the store that's being done and he puts the revolver, the Smith & Wesson to it, and then he, he almost shoots himself, but Danny puts his hand in behind the hammer. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you're crazy, <laughs> And then says so the drinking game every time <laughs> Dion says that line. You know, that was shot. <laughs> and then he... Uh, and then he has that transition in his face. He makes a good change where he's like, oh, you yeah. know, he kind of cools down. Well, he's, like, yeah, you he, know. he's good in it. I mean, it's a good character, he's, but it's also like that's another thing now watching it. 30 years later and knowing like what a fucking nutcase Mel Gibson is it does kind of taint a viewing for me anyway it yeah. taints like the viewing experience whereas like back then you didn't know anything that he was kind of crazy yeah, in yeah. real life and he uh, yeah I think he he does well in this uh, and it's weird he's 30 in the movie but he's playing a 38 year old yeah. and it, I just and Danny Glover's 40, 40 playing a 50 year old and but to me Danny Glover passes a 50 year old well, I think it's clear that they kind of grade him up a little bit. Yeah, but what's his face? It doesn't look 30 to me at all. He looks like he's, you know, I'm like, Jesus, I'm 38 now. And I'm like, God damn. I'm like, Jesus, he's, he was 30 when he was doing that. It's like, this is, this is insane. I have no concept of time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's, I don't know. I think, I mean, I guess it was with every generation, but I mean, especially for me, it just, it's just like, 
I don't know. I think our generation, it seems anyway, I could be mistaken, but I think our generation more than previous generations, like our, and we've talked about this in terms of nostalgia, and I think it has to do with it. Like our, our generation seems much more nostalgic in a, in a different, or at least maybe not more so, but in a different way than previous generations. Like our parents, and it could have just been that like our parents had kids young. And they had more to do, like like raise a family yeah, or jobs. Yeah, so they didn't have money to spend on you know, fucking trinkets and collectibles. They're and, not buying their toys from the <laughs> You know, they just didn't have the money or the time to worry about that kind of stuff. And that could have been it. But, uh, but I also feel like it seems to me that like, I don't know, I think our generation and I, and I think you and I are perfect examples of this. And I think the interactions that we've had with listeners that listen to our show, that we do seem to, I feel like we hold on to, we're, we're still kids at heart yeah. in a way that like, I can't imagine like your dad being when he was our age. Yeah. That's a, a frightening thing for me to think about because, <laughs> you know, like we're still kids, yeah. you know, like in our, in our, in our heart, in our minds and our hearts, we're still like little kids or, or at the very least we haven't, teenagers. We haven't grown up yet. And so I think that's part of it. Like we watch movies and we're like, that guy's like, I'm older than that guy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's <laughs> like, he's like, he's a grown up. <laughs> it's insane to me to think that when I was, I'm 38, when I was my, when my dad was my age now, I was six. And I can't imagine my dad picking half the life choices that I pick now. <laughs> you know, I can't picture my dad going to work, doing a podcast, you know, going crying in the shower or, uh, you know, buying comic books. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, it was all, you know, my dad was a, a, going a, to Hascon. Yeah. Going to Hascon is to check Hasbro out. You know what I mean? I mean, but at the same time, as much of a man's man as my dad was, my dad fully embraced it. My dad bought me any toy I wanted. He yeah. would watch Batman the Animated Series with me. I would, you know, I watched Transformers the movie into Nauseam, the cartoon movie with him. So it, he never was not. Yeah, uh, in I mean, any way maybe that was that, their way of. You know? But also, my father, if, since we're talking about him, he had a rough childhood. He grew up in the projects, his parents were divorced. He grew up in a bar. His mother owned a bar. He uh, left. Uh, home at a very early age he you know uh worked on the railroad got involved in other nefarious activities so he had a rough and tumble yeah you know, the, and then the people he was hanging out with weren't people that you know he was gonna be going play gi joe <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah but i guess i even like i've mentioned uh, you know i brought it up to my dad a long time ago i was like you know because my dad bought me like a lot of cool toys and stuff he's like honestly i just bought you the shit that i wanted so maybe they were just you know, like, maybe they were living it. all my life. My father said that to me. My father said, you know, I wanted to give you the childhood I didn't have or make your childhood better. And that even to the, to the point where last year I took my dad to see a Broadway play. This play Cagney was on Broadway. I thought he'd really like it. And we were eating lunch and I forgot something came up and he said that to, to me. He's like, you know, you had a really good, I, I wanted to give you everything you didn't have. I didn't have in my childhood. And then, you know, you talk about first world problems. You look at people, you know, who live in any other country in the world, maybe aside from uh, Western countries, but like the things people have to deal with. And, you know, we're the majority of us are really fucking lucky. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't have to deal with poverty. We had toys. We have nowadays access to Internet books, what people take for granted. So, you know, live to grow up in the Depression, say, or to grow up in having to go to war in World War Two or Vietnam or whatever, you know, I mean, or you have to. Jesus, prior to like freaking World War II, you know, or, or maybe the 1920s, having to go out 
as a five or six year old and get a job to help support the family in some fucking factory that you can die in, you know, or get like, you know, freaking coal miners lung, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's, you know, or, you know, prior to the 20th century, a lot of kids wouldn't live past 13 because of either disease or horrible work conditions that they were having to be, you know, forced to work in. So yeah. it's crazy to think that, you know, men were men back then and we're just, you know, we're, we're kids. We're kids. <laughs> we're, 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 we're still watching. But know. I think that's my friend. I think part of that uh, idea of that, like, we still, like, I always joke around because, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm heavy and you know, I'm heavy. getting old. And, like, in my head, I always, I always, like, joke around that I have, like, reverse body dysmorphia because in my head, I look like I look when you and I met. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. still 19 yeah. in my head. <laughs> you know? So, like, it's not till I look in the mirror. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't, I'm not that guy anymore. I don't look like that anymore. So, I think that's part of it. Like, when we watch something like this and you're like, wow, Mel Gibson is fucking eight years younger than we are. Well, I'm not. I'm 39 now. Yeah, yeah. But, like, in this movie, he looks, and also because we saw it when we were so little. So, he seems so old and on, masculine. On top of that, Mel Gibson, I'm not Mel Gibson, Danny Glover's only a year older than you. <laughs> And he's two years older than me when he did this, and, he's, and I'm like, I'm like, holy shit, you know? Or and I, I forget about like, when you watch like '70s stuff because everybody just seems. Even now, you look at it, you're like, fuck, like he's 30. Yeah, or like James Dean died when he was 24, and it's like he looks like he's in his 30s in all these movies. And I mean, I guess it's a rougher life, and you having to, uh, you know, uh, growing up in, in, the, in those times of malnourishment and body types and stuff, and, and or just you know, everyone smoked, everyone just ate red meat. Yeah. There was no kinds of sense of health. Well, like you know, how people old are like, what's was, a salad? Like how old was uh, Peter Falk in Columbo in the seventies. He's got to be in his forties. Yeah, like he's you know? not that much older. Than I know. It's, it's just you know. I like. I like. For me, I look at. I, I I like to look at my life and and get depressed about other people have accomplished at that age. So like, say Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood when he was thirty eight, my age now, he was doing freaking. He had already done all the spaghetti westerns and he was doing like Hang 'Em High. You know, and, you, and just you think about all the like, how old were they when they did this? And they were just, you know, it's like, oh my god, like you know. And then it, 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 you get into one of those things where you, you know, stop fucking pitying yourself and get on with your life. You can't yeah, just sit yeah. here and cry all day. But it's just like, it's amazing to me to think that you know the sense of accomplishment these people had, like you know, like well, these directors. Now. You know, it's like you know this kid, you know, uh, right out of you know Shane Black's right out of film school or, or school here. He's writing these movies in his twenties, or you know, it's just like Jesus, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Uh, wrong you know? We're living on the wrong coast to begin with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's part of it. I mean, those guys were all in California, and Clint Eastwood started acting when he was pretty young. Yeah, you know, yeah, and and then it's I think it's a different time too. You know, I mean, the the, the from it's a different time from when we went to film school. Yeah, you know, I mean, if if I think we would have had a better chance of doing things if the if it's state if we didn't have this, you know, the the, the revolution with the with the, yeah, with the yeah. social the internet and all that kind of stuff you know i think that really sure. just turned everything on its on its head because even how they make movies nowadays you and i our vision of going to film school to make movies isn't even a a, a realistic vision now yeah you know for whatever reason but we're digressing but so it's <laughs> amazing to think that these people are that age at this time you know so they then next a big plot point is you meet joshua Mm-hmm. Uh, played by the great Gary Busey, who you and I like to refer to as the Buse. The Buse is and, loose. And I've always remembered the scene with uh, Edo Ross, who plays a minor character in this movie. He plays like uh, uh, 
Menendez or whatever his name is in it. He shows up and Dick Tracy is itchy. He's also in, I think he's in Red Heat. He's like a Russian. He might be the heavy in, in Red Heat. But he's the guy's like, you guys are up fucking on Pluto, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I love that. You know, it's a great scene to introduce a badass lighter. Do you have a light? Do you smoke? Do you smoke? <laughs> well, I love the abuse. I mean, we t- you know, I've now done two podcasts about Silver Bullet. And yes. part, part of my love for Silver Bullet comes from the Gary Busey and the relationship and the chemistry that he has with Corey Haim in that movie. And the abuse is great. And I guess uh, he was his, his career was kind of like teetering at this point. Yeah, well, you know, in the was early, late 70s. 79, he, I think He it gets is. nominated for but, Buddy Holly. But the Buddy Holly... The Buddy Holly story, and did he? I thought he won. Did he get, just get? I nominated? think he just got nominated. Best actor. I forget who won. And part of that was, which I didn't realize until just recently, is the reason why that. Other than that, he's great in that part. But one of the reasons why he was so that part was so significant is that unlike a lot of musical type movies where you they record. He's either lip syncing to Buddy Holly or he records his own versions and then he lip syncs to that. He out, out, Every performance that you see in the Buddy Holly story, he's doing live in front of the camera. He's singing and playing guitar live in the, you know, in they're, the ca- they're capturing it and they don't go back and overdub it. Yeah. Like those are the performances. And so he, after that, he was a big deal because he got nominated for Academy Award. And, and prior to that, I think he's in Big Wednesday. He's, in he's his, done a he's couple a of things. Surfer, yeah. You know. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of uh, sleepover movie lovers from our generation will know him from uh, Point Break. Point Break, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Predator 2. But I remember, too. But this after- was, like, he did, he was, I mean, I guess 85 is uh, Silver, Silver Bullet. Bullet. And he kind of did disappear for a short time and got himself into shape. Because, I mean, he's kind of like over, he's overweight and stuff and Silver Bullet. And he ended up coming back. People hadn't seen him in like a year. And he came, he got, got whooped himself into shape and he came back. And he's a real badass. In this and movie. he had never, surprisingly, had never played a bad guy before this. Yeah. And I, I think as the story goes is he, because of uh, the Buddy Holly or whatever, his agent, he had... There was a deal where, like, for some reason, they had to see him for it. They wanted him to audition. And they had already, according to him, had already even casted Mr. Joshua, had already cast Mr. Jo- the character of Mr. Joshua. And then he came in kind of ob- out of obligation that they had to see him because of some kind of contractual obligation. They had to let him audition. And since he hadn't really auditioned for anything since the Buddy Holly story, but he came in and he read... Uh, according to him, he read the torture scene with Mel Gibson in the audition, and Richard Donner was like, "Fuck, like okay, <laughs> like this is our guy." Well, he's such like a f- blew him away in the like the, their chemistry together, and his read of that stuff in the audition was so great that they kind of either paid off or fired the guy they had already cast and and recast it with Gary Busey. I mean, it, it, uh, it's kind of. It's a small part. But yeah, it's but a it's, memorable it's a part. very memorable part. And as well as the, um, you know, I love this, you know, him, he's always talking to the general sir. You know, it's it's very, he's, you know, you could tell he is a, he's a loyal yeah. mercenary. You know, he's not in any way, you don't think he's going to cut and run. If the dealing gets bad, he'll stay to the end. You know, it's he's a true kind of like, you know, uh, 
mercenary in a certain yeah. sense. And I mean, nowadays we all, you know, I think Gary Busey's become like this larger than life. Like, well, after this movie, in the I remember certainly like watching the Arsenio Hall show growing up. Uh, he had a lot of issues with drugs. He had a, numerous motorcycle accidents, doing coke. Well, that's the thing up. is that like, and that's why he kind of fell off. And then I think he came back for Point Break, and it's like, oh, okay, he's back in the game. And then he kind of. But the went reason off. why he's so crazy now, I mean, because he's now he's like a reality TV star. Oh, he, he was on like The Apprentice. He was on uh, that uh, that show with Doctor Drew about rehab, okay. celebrity rehab. He was probably in one of those ones when they were they did like the the real world type scenario where they put like washed up stars. Oh, yeah, like Big Brother. He, he like did like all this, this celebrity Big of, Brother maybe. Yeah, something like that. And uh, he was, but people don't realize that the reason why he's so crazy is because he hey from from a motorcycle accident in which he fucking died, uh, that he suffered some severe brain. Uh, trauma trauma yeah. and like he has no filter now because of the brain trauma like he so you he, you're saying he flatlined and then they brought him back yeah during brain surgery wow he, he died on the table and then they brought him back but he suffers like a part of his the part of his brain that like you know is the filter of like you think of like maybe i wouldn't say that he just says it <laughs> he just like he has no filter because of the that part of the brain is like damage so he seems like such a crazy character now to people that don't know what he was like as a movie star in the 70s and 80s yeah yeah you know now we just think of him like this wacky guy i'm sure the drugs didn't help too Uh, yeah and then then, you know know, the amount of cocaine and all that kind of shit but he was a really talented musician he played on uh leon russell's album for leon russell's album played drums on those albums and he's like a really talented musician that went into acting um the last time i saw him was there was this viral video of him at some convention uh, yelling and berating Jonathan Winters because the Jonathan Winters was at the table next to him and he was like fucking yelling Jonathan at Jonathan Winters. Winters. Still alive? When no, was this, this was like a year before Jonathan Winters died. So this is from like Jonathan Winters died like what two or three years ago. So it was like a year before that. And Jonathan Winters is dressed up like as like a he looks like a look like a like a, a train engineer. He had like a like a overalls and like a hat on. He's like yeah. yelling at Jonathan Winters and they're getting into a fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what the Gary leave Jonathan Winters alone because you know at this point Jonathan Winters is elderly. Jonathan Winters was not a great chicken when he was on work with Mindy. Yeah, I know, yeah, or, or yeah, or, yeah, exactly. You know, he, his fame was like the sixties, or and you know, let's forget his classic episode of when he meets Scooby Doo and Batman. He's in that episode too. Yeah. So that's my that was him. But I yeah, Busey's amazing in this. Supposedly they wanted John Saxon to play him, but John Saxon was contractually obligated to do Dream Warriors at the time, so they couldn't get Saxon to play Joshua. That would been interesting i know there's a whole other what if here you had um brian denny he they were he was going to be up for uh murtaugh but he just did fx and he'd done rambo first blood where he played cops in both movies so he's like i don't want to come back and play a cop again uh there's a whole crap load of so many what ifs for uh rigs uh i mean literally they had like the cat's nest of kurt russell patrick swayze michael keaton nicholas cage christopher reeves harrison ford liam neeson pierce Brosnan, kevin costner eric roberts goes on on a schwarzenegger goes on and on kevin klein uh william hurt shane black wanted william hurt to play uh him but he was doing something else at the time he might have been doing um 
um, altered states, or I don't know. He was doing something else, and he couldn't do. Yeah, that would have been interesting casting because they also say that Mert, there was no another there was never any delineation in the script of ethnics yeah so they never looked at it like as a black and a white guy so then when they thought the casting director thought hey let's have Danny Glover come to the table uh, the chemistry was perfect for them they did a table read together yeah. and they said it was perfect I also heard that uh, like Bruce Willis had turned down Regs, yeah, and Mel Gibson had turned down John McClane, <laughs> yeah, and supposedly so. In this, so we could have had an alternate universe. We could have had a Die Hard with Mel Gibson and a Lethal Weapon with Bruce Willis. And in this movie, there's the legendary the Beretta 92F, which is uh, Riggs uses as well as uh, John McClane uses in both movies. And supposedly the lore is that it's actually the same prop gun. I don't know if that's true, but that I was I wonder in the 70s. Dirty Harry brought the 44 Magnum and people bought that like it was nobody's business. And I wonder if this, the Beretta 92, 92F became the 44 Magnum in the 80s because it was so popular. My father owns a Beretta 92F because of these two movies. And uh, I I love that gun that he has. It's amazing. It's a really well-crafted gun. Beretta's an Italian thing and it's it's amazing. They long, no longer make that model. But uh, most significantly, they they were both profiled in these two movies and I think uh, Robert Patrick has it in Terminator 2. He has a Beretta 92F. Uh, but also all Joel Silver movies, right? Or maybe he didn't do Terminator. Two. Think, yeah, but both certainly back to back. These two also um, uh, they uh, they wanted Michael Bean as Riggs, but Michael Bean uh, because he he was hot off a of Terminator, but he said he couldn't because he was doing Aliens at the time. So, but that would have been an, another he completely been good Riggs. Yeah, another completely uh, different movie. Uh, you know, and then for McAllister, uh, they they were talking about Lee Marvin, Bruce Dern. Uh, Richard Jordan, who we just didn't raise the Titanic, James Earl Jones, Peter Boyle, Robert Duvall. I mean, can you imagine an alternate movie with, with this, like, <laughs> Lee, you know, this cast? It would have been really, like, Lee Marvin, or, yeah. you know, they would have been really cool. I mean, the actor that plays um, McAllister in this, uh, what the hell is the guy's name? Uh, he ends up being, um, uh, what do you call it? He's in Magnum Force. He's the guy who Mitchell uh, Ryan. Mitchell Ryan. He's the guy in Magnum Force that uh, is that it, 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 something's wrong with him, and then the cop killers end up killing him because he may rat him out. Uh, he plays a great part in this movie too, uh, and I think everybody was really cool in this movie. Uh, and it's just amazing how quick the movie goes from back to you know it just it just gets the plot done. There's there's a heroin shipment. A A leads to B. Like I said, everyone's watching Family Feud. There's like three different scenes in the movie where you hear Richard Dawson on in the black background or, or you see the Three Stooges on, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, evidently, Mel Gibson's a big fan of the Three Stooges. Produced the TV yeah, movie exactly. Michael Chiklis. The, the biopic of that people may have forgotten. Uh, Mel Gibson evidently turned down Cronenberg's The Fly to do this movie. So that would have been a very interesting movie to see him be in the remake of The Fly doing it, you know. yeah. As because uh, those are what, some of these, you know, that's that's definitely a movie. I mean, there's so many movies where you like, I can't imagine somebody else playing that part. But it's like I can't imagine anybody but Jeff Goldblum. Playing yeah, exactly. That part. This movie has the first um, credit as having the first modern cell phone in it. It has the old Radio Shack Model Seventeen Dash. 1003, which came out in 86, and that freaking thing is a brick. I mean, you know, that, can you imagine trying to text and check your Facebook on that thing? You know, it's unbelievable. You see that in a couple, and we just did two weeks ago for the night they saved Christmas. Santa, all that technology with yeah. Santa's pioneering the cell phone. And if you research this movie, the one thing they bring up, I think, I guess people find this fascinating because it's on every article ever about it, is that uh, for the end fight, 
uh, I guess Busey and and Mel Gibson studied three different martial arts. Yeah, because they wanted the they wanted the fight at the end to be something that, like stuff that you never seen before. And it's weird because I think I think it's really awesome that they had they had these three different martial arts. Uh, Coparel, I can't even sp- pronounce this right. Uh, it's C- Coparia. Uh, Is that it? Coparia. Capo or Capoeira. Yeah, which is for a, some reason it's a W sound, even though it's like an O E. It's it's a uh, fighting style that was originally um, from West Africa to fight off slave traders. Jailhouse Rock, which is a form of I guess like which now you see capoeira and stuff. It's a, it's like a mix of dance and martial arts. If you see like the moves out, you're like, oh yeah, that looks familiar because now it's been done. But at this point, it had never been. Yeah, seen because in people movies. only knew like karate or maybe taekwondo at yeah. the most. And you had the Jailhouse Rock, which was I guess a collection know, of different martial arts that people use in prison, in prison, prison fights. And then the third one is Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, which you know. Uh, I guess was still was fairly new at the time. Stuff that yeah, you see, because jujitsu is a lot of yeah on the on the ground and grappling. I mean, we cited before um, above the law, and that was Steven Seagal's first movie. He's an Aikido uh, master in that, and that was brand new when that came out. And that's some you know you see the stuff where he's throwing people in the walls and breaking arms and yeah, yeah. so. It is interesting that you know they were looking that idea that they wanted to have distinct martial arts, but that end fight is so. Yeah, dirty. Kind it's of, hard kind to of see. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, I like a lot of the grappling he's doing with his feet, which is lo- looks like a lot of the jujitsu, where he's like he grabs your man, um, the, the tor- Al Young. Yeah, Al Young. You know, he grabs the, the guy who's torturing him at the end with the with the freaking uh, the the car battery. Ugh, you yeah. know, uh, and then at the end when he gets Gary Busey in the foot, you could see a lot of that that leg stuff is probably you know the, the Brazilian jujitsu on the floor, but uh, and then they did a lot of extensive training, like they the the the, the stunt. Uh, the the stunt choreographer took him and they did like three months of like workout prep. They had him like in bed with the LAPD so they'd know about like stakeouts and stuff like all kind of that cool uh, stuff there. Um, And then I guess one of the, some really famous stuntman who had trained the woman who jumped off the the, the, uh, the balcony at the beginning died in a car accident, a motorcycle accident prior to this movie coming out. Yeah. no coincidence. The, 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 well, the, the, shortly after, not even coming out, shortly after principal photography, I think he was working on like a TV movie or yeah. something. Like it was the next thing he did. He died really shortly after he stopped working on the. Yeah, so they dedicate the movie to him in, in, in this. Uh, and also, for you, you're a huge Clapton fan. I am. So Clapton shows up in this movie. We have a couple people doing this, the soundtrack in here. Yeah, Michael Kamen, who's a big uh, movie composer he he had coming off a highlander and he does die hard the next year and when you think of that the scores are very similar yeah you know the uh the 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 the, the lavish orchestration and the strings and the really over the top like you know that presentation you know these are almost seamless these two yeah yeah i mean cayman's great i mean he like i said he, he did die hard but he also did uh what's the one i just mentioned highlander was a great score and then uh he's one of the only composers other than uh howard shore to work with cronenberg he did the score for dead 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 Ringers? zone oh, oh, <laughs> the oh. dead zone the dead zone oh, okay. yeah it's like the, i think it's the only that's the only movie i think of carp that of cronenberg's that i don't think howard shore composed the music for 
But uh, Kamen had worked with Clapton on a, a BBC TV movie. Edge of Darkness. The Edge of Darkness. Which ends up being the movie that Mel Gibson does. In like 2010 or Yeah, something. the American version of that, which is funny. And so he brought on Clapton, and then they brought in uh, David Sanborn to play the saxophone. So uh, it's interesting because like Clapton, the guitar kind of represents Riggs. Yeah. And the saxophone represents uh, Murtaugh. And it's very iconic now, though. Yeah. Know, the, that, it's very cliche. Like the, you know, it's I mean, like, it's very 80s. It's yeah. very dated when you watch it now. You know, but, it, but it's cool because they keep that consistent through the whole movie. And what I also like, since you said you don't remember a lot about Lethal Weapon 2, is that... Uh, a lot of their their squad, the four or five guys that are that are working under um, Reason Murtaugh, are brought back for Lethal Weapon Two, which I find that I like that for consistent continuity. Yeah, yeah. But it's cool that they bring Clapton does the soundtrack for all four movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his face? Uh, Samborn yeah. does all you know all four you know. So there's there is a level of continuity, sound. yeah, which is really cool. So they do have a lot of uh, you know that ties everything together. Um, and then the other weird nod is that they're they're talking about. When Tom Atkins is talking about Dan, to Danny Glover that they they he owes him, they, they're talking about from a Vietnam battle at the uh, it's the same Vietnam battle that Mel Gibson then does in We Were Soldiers in two thousand two. Yeah. That is the dramatization of that, which is like the first battle that really got us into Vietnam uh, prior to we, us declaring war in Vietnam and having you know uh, you know uh, a, a, the pretty the encounter there. Uh, I mean, other stuff in the movie, you know, he Gibson actually put like a bullet in the chamber, chambered a bullet uh, to put in his mouth at that. I liked at the end, it was very poignant. I found this viewing that like, I completely forgot that he gives the bullet as a present to to her, to, to, to basically to, to, to Danny Glover. And I like that idea that like, you know, He's able to have some closure on the, 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 he, now he has something to live for. Yeah, yeah. You know, I find, you know, as much as the movie's cliched in a lot of ways that, you know, you see in a lot of things, I liked, I really loved the dynamic the two of them had, yeah. you know, and I can see why they ended up making three sequels and even a spoof on it, you know. And now a TV series. And now a TV series, <laughs> which is them, but with but the characters. And it's surviving the TV series. I didn't think that would get past the first season. And actually, you know, yeah. it's, it's done pretty well, but, you know, and seeing this it's like oh I want to see more of the two of them together I liked him coming over I liked the idea and I think that was something that, that Danny Glover said that brought him to the project was the family unit the African American family unit at the time because you know a lot of times you see like in a lot of 70s programs especially uh, it's always done as jokes and that was a big thing with good times where good times you know uh, uh, Amos on that and uh, what's her face um, the female mother they wanted to keep it serious, but then once they realized J.J., Jimmy Walker, was the he's the breakout star, it turned into just like he had one-liners. And it's like, no, yeah. we want to have a positive look on the African-American experience. So in the 80s, when you had the Cosby show come out, which was, you know, very nice that, you know, people, detractors got mad at that saying like, this isn't true representation of the African-American family. But it's nice to see, you know, that this was nice and it's a good family, you know, thing. And I like them bringing Mel Gibson in and, you know, they're having the big family thing. And, yeah, yeah. and it kind of gives, you know, him... Um, a reason to live, you know. Uh, I think the movie's strengths are that stuff. Yeah. You know, like the characters outside the job. Yeah. Which is what makes, like, like creates a foundation that you can build the action yeah. stuff on top of and you kind of care. Yeah. You know, like, and, like you were saying with the Save the Cat stuff, but like the fact that we see this troubled cop who lost his wife and he's, doesn't know if he can go on and the only thing that keeps him going is getting up and 
and, and, and getting bad guys. Because <laughs> he know, loves the job Bringing so bad guys to justice you know? is what keeps him going. And on the, on the flip side, you have this guy who's got a family and kids and, uh, you know, maybe he's... At, you know he's a he's a good guy, so he continues with the job. But at the same time, he's probably itching to retire so that he can get his boat into the water. Yeah, and it's <laughs> it's funny because it's it's something like you know in the original Dirty Harry, they the woman asked a woman asked Dirty Harry like you know his wife is killed by a drunk driver one night, and that's the idea behind that. It's 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 an issue where you know these guys are cops, but their 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 wife or significant other is killed in a way that they couldn't prevent. You know, they, it wasn't a criminal robbing a store. I mean, you could prevent drunk driving, yeah. but it was a, an act that they couldn't figure, you know, they couldn't. Yeah, they well, couldn't stop. Yeah, so the woman asked Harry Callahan in the movie, why do you do this? He's like, I don't know. I really don't. You know, I couldn't tell you. And in and, and this movie, it's, he's you know, he's doing it just to, 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 to stop, you know, to, he loves the job so much and getting bad guys. And that's a lot of reasons why cops, you know, it's, a sh- you know, being a cop can be a really shitty life. It ruins marriages. You know, you, the shit you see, it's almost like PTSD. You know, you have to, you take that home with you. And that's why a lot of people buffer it with alcoholism or drugs, you know, because, you know, it's so hard to be able to deal with the death and the decay every day. People say, why do you do it? And it's, you know, I to, to take people off the street. And then the reverse of that is. Like, you know, I say to you that, or I bring up, I'm not contractually obligated to say it, but I was watching Cagney and Lacey, and that's the duality between the two of their characters, where one has a family and she has kids and all that. The other one's just, you know, she's single. She's not a woman or manonizer. I don't know what you call that, like a bachelor or bachelorette. But, you know, you see the dichotomy, like in this movie, it's the them coming together and you have, yeah. you know, how, how the interaction. And for me, this too is the huge set pieces. I mean, the opening scene of her jumping off always caught me as a kid. I love the scene with the Christmas tree stuff. Uh, the end, that big, sh- for me, the pool, you know, me growing up, I had an above ground pool and it, I was always so scared about yeah. falling into the, the the cover because of this movie. You know, you see the guy getting killed. And, you know, yeah, yeah. that was always a big concern. Watch out, you don't fall into the cover, you know. Uh, and then certainly the scene in the desert, the big shootout, I loved, you know, him, the sniper and the helicopter. And that I thought that scene's very effective. And this is another scene, a movie where, like, the guns have a particular sound. What Dirty Harry's forty-four Magnum has a sound. Riggs's Beretta has that, you know, yeah. sound. It could even be the kind of same sound that they end up using in Die Hard. You know, I find that very cool. Uh, I love the whole ending finale. I mean, I, I I found it a little funny now that like, you know, they're they're sh- sh- trading off automatic gunfire on a freeway, not worrying about any kind of <laughs> civilian casualties. The other thing that's you know? funny right before that is. You know, when they blow up the general's car or whatever. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. like, we got to get out of here. It's like, and we got to get out of this heroin smoke. Yeah. <laughs> They're all yeah. just breathing in all this burning heroin. Yeah, that's in there, too. You know, it, it, <laughs> it's all mainline. And, and there's, there's so many funny moments in it where, like, you know, cops will just run up and, like, someone's shot, bleeding out, got a gun in their hand, and they're just, I'm a cop. And like, okay, you know, they, all right. Yeah, they don't even, you know, he's like, I'm going to go and reach for my shield. And, like, you know, it's so dangerous now. And, you know, I like. I always love that too. With the end, where the, um, you know, the, the, the McAllister's trying to get away, he gets hit by the bus. You know, that big set piece. You know, yeah. and uh, certainly like Riggs, you know, running to, to catch up with Gary Buse, and Buse going back to his house, and you got Alistair Sims uh, on a Christmas Carol, and then that whole, you know, I, I guess Buse's motivation is to go to the house to try to kill his family is like a, pay, you know. I guess payback or hostages, maybe. Yeah, but it just didn't end up working. And they just decided to drive a car <laughs> through, through. Yeah, through yeah, and it. house. And that, it's funny because it looks like in the beginning of the movie that they're uh, 
they're remodeling the house because there's some holes in it. And that becomes a joke in the second movie that they're they're remodeling after what happened and then they're putting an addition on from the first movie and then that other stuff, you know. And I don't remember if that goes, I haven't seen the third one in years and I've only seen the fourth one once. But yeah, the end is where they're just like, they have them in custody and they're like, what do you say, Josh? Well, why don't we just... You want to you do one more here? And they're like, yeah, let's take it, you know. <laughs> let's fight in this suburban neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the ending song is it's it's kind of forgettable over the credits because we we watched it to the end and it's like you know that's why he's a lethal <laughs> weapon and I bring it up because the second movie has a hell of a song that I love called "It's Probably Me" yeah, by Clapton and Sting, Sting yeah. and then there's another song and it it's, it's called like Roller Coaster. Or crazy train or runaway train and it's by elton john and that's a great song too and that that's a highlight for me from the lethal weapon 2 and I don't, I don't remember the other songs from three or four but the first this first movie has just such a throwaway song you know yeah. i mean there's a lot of christmas music in it and i love it you always, i always love you gotta have christmas music it's like at the end of um die hard the same thing too and a die hard you know where you, you you have you have here um mel gibson dukes it out with the abuse you think it's over the abuse goes for the weapon. You have the slow motion. They yeah, both shoot yeah. him. And who knows if they shoot that other cop that's right next to him because <laughs> they both fall <laughs> on the ground. Um, and that's the same thing at the end of Die Hard. You think everything's cool, but then Carl yeah. comes back with that crazy Austrian gun. And then, you know, uh, what's his face? Uh, um, uh, um, Carl Winslow. Uh, what's his name? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget his name. Uh, uh, it's on the Reginald Denny. Is that his name? Johnson. Reginald Dell John something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he saves the day, and it's, again, slow motion, you know, yeah, you know, yeah. and then they go out on a Christmas song, you know, weather, and that was our joke with uh, but both Invasion. Both movies also have Al Young as a hunchman, isn't Al Young? Oh, yeah, he's one of the, yeah, he's right. He's eating the candy bars in Die Hard. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if he got the job for this, and that was my joke at the end of Invasion of the, uh, Inv Invasion USA, is that once they blew up Chuck Norris blew up the guy. He should have said, you know, weather outside. <laughs> they should have just pulled back and had the end of the credits, you know. Uh, but, yeah, this was an enjoyable for me to, to come back and rewatch this. Uh, full disclosure, I have not watched the TV series. Me either. But I, it's supposedly good, and it got renewed again, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and there's a lot of other stuff in here I guess we didn't get to with, you know, there's uh, we talked about deleted scenes and uh, darker scripts. I find it funny, though, that, Shane Black wrote, wrote both one and two, but then they had to come in and like completely rework it. Yeah. You know, like they're taking out set pieces. They're saying it's too dark. It's well, too just this. Completely re I don't think his script is, they wrote a script or two, but I don't think they used it. No, them. they didn't use two at all. Yeah. They, but they brought the other guy in to, to, to clean, to re rewrite this, they, to fix one and then completely rewrite two. Yeah. And then I don't know if Shane Black after that's like, you know, fuck that. I'm not coming back. For <laughs> For anything. You're not going to use my shit. Yeah, you're not going to use it, you know. And then they also say what played a hand in this success was, I guess, Rob, Roger Ebert loved the movie when it came out, and he was really lauding it and saying, like, four out of four stars, you got to go see this. And, and this was back in the day when people would, you know, listen to, like, a handful of people film reviews. And when you reviewed a film, that was something, you know, and you yeah. didn't have, like, a thousand people with an internet connection reviewing movies. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they say that really helped push this thing and... and I think it did set the stage for the transition into certainly buddy cop movies like Tango and Cash, and you have uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a slew of other like into the '90s. You know, there's the 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 the, uh, the, the cop kind of movies. Oh sure, I mean you have you know all that stuff. I mean even Last Boy Scout. Last Boy Scout, yeah. You know, it, it's it kind of uh, ushers in getting away from the 
it's glimmer man glimmer man glimmer man <laughs> with the wayne's yeah with what was that keenan ivory wayne's is that keenan ivory wayne and, and stephen and uh, stephen king steven steven seagal where he he freaking uh slits a guy's throat with a credit card which is freaking amazing uh but yeah i feel like this this movie and then with along oh bad boys and rush hour are other examples mm-hmm. of uh, of those kind of buddy cop sure. movie you know which started i'd say I'd make the the argument with the Dirty Harrys, but then this kind of really yeah. But Dirty Harry was you know it wasn't like a comedy. It was yeah, that, you know, and it was like it was about Dirty Harry. I mean, it was about Harry Callahan and him and interacting and with and his he partner. Had a, he had a part, and yeah, and every other partner. It was funny because it's like it's, it wasn't like it's always a you know it's the show that even though he's called stars yeah even though he's he's a he's quote unquote Dirty Harry he didn't he wasn't a racist or whatever that they so that was the joke they put him with a woman or a minority or something. Uh, and then this uh, ended up just, you know, what is it, three or four sequels or whatever? It's just, it's insane, you know, how, the, yeah. how this worked out. And then after this, Richard Donner's next movie, Scrooged, stayed with the Christmas tradition. You know, in 88, he does Scrooged. So, um, yeah, I like my holiday Christmas movies. Dion you know, it's a holiday Christmas fan. Especially these movies. Like, the, like you said to me at the head of the cast about what's the... Uh, What's the interesting? That's something to like, you know. And you know what? That's actually a good uh, question to post to our listeners to see, like, what they think. Is, is there any uh, little homework? Yeah, I'm sure uh, Mike Vanderbilt, you know, or or our uh, he's probably already written about it somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's probably did a, a huge thing for like uh, EV Club or I bet you have this movie, uh, Patrick over at this yeah. movie, I'm sure they've already discussed this topic. Or a friend Jose, you know, like good Jose, old Jose. Uh, yeah, oh, Jose. Oh, I'd love to hear his um his idea about this, you know. Uh, because it certainly works so well. You know, you get a movie like this or Die Hard that, you know, Die Hard, you have terrorists. And then the next, you have everything. Die Hard in a plane. You have Die Hard in, a, in an ice rink. You have Die Hard, you know, on a boat. Yeah. You have Die Hard on a cruise well, ship. I hadn't seen this movie for maybe 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it took a little bit of adjusting because it did have to, you did have to, like, get into the, for me, I had to get back into, like, that mode of, because you said it's so cliche, but it wasn't necessarily cliche at the time. It's yeah. just that you got another bun. <laughs> it made such a big, like, kind of impact that it became. It's become kind of it. it well, some of it plays as almost parody now, uh, which 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 probably wasn't the case then. So it took me a little bit of time to kind of shift gears and get into it. But once I kind of got past that, yeah. so like after the first half hour. Like, I, okay. I kind of fell into the groove of it and kind of just got into it. It, uh, it, it was a lot of fun to kind of revisit it because yeah. I hadn't seen it in so long. And, and it's and it's it's certainly I think a Christmas staple for a lot of people. Like a Die Hard again is. It's more Christmassy than a lot of the other ones we mentioned. Ramble for blood, <laughs> like, especially <laughs> we just happens to have to have a Christmas tree in the in the train station. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or or like uh, lights on at the end. Uh, and it certainly is a movie where Police again station. I might have said train station. Yeah, where the audience, the 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 uh, education of the audience. You know, we've talked about this before, but like you know, you, like in the eighties, you had like in the end of Commando, where you have him going after an army, and that was acceptable. Yeah, yeah. You know, where in this movie, he's doing such crazy things. He's putting guns to people's heads. He's jumping off buildings with suspects, and people are like, oh, that's just crazy rigs. It's fine. Well, you can never do that nowadays. You know, you yeah. can't have, you know, in, in the Punisher show, you couldn't have, like, that woman jumping we off. Were, like we were just talking about with Sorcerer, how, like, the excess of, of the crazy shit filmmakers were doing. Oh, and getting away with. And, kind of, you know, like with John Landis and... and Where it's like, I was watching Francis this. Ford and I was like, there's some... 
they look ver- like very dangerous helicopter moves. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, there's a scene. Yeah, there's a scene, and I, I actually thought of that when 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 they're in the desert and Danny Glover's standing there, and that helicopter comes flying around and lands pretty close to Danny Glover, and its nose is down. Yeah, I mean that copter must be pilot must be really experienced, but I'd be worried. That like you know, Jesus, the Twilight Zone tragedy just happened five years prior, yeah. and that was a helicopter accident. Uh, so you think people would be into you it know? Seems like I was watching. I was like, this is like, or Mel Gibson getting hit by a car in it, you know? Or, <laughs> it you just know? seemed like a lot of that helicopter stuff seemed pretty dangerous. Yeah, they're just getting away with stuff, you know. And then even or, or even how close was the helicopter getting to the opening shot with it going in? Yeah. And like I said, I really like that opening shot that there wasn't a cut. It just started like I don't know, like off the coast, and it went right into the. Yeah. That's yeah. fun when they do stuff like that. But definitely one of these movies where it's like you could see, you know, you start it with the Dirty Harrys or those kind of cop movies of the '70s, and then yeah. the evolution where we talk about, you know, Bullet is Carver car and then French Connections car versus train and then there's you know car versus bus you know and then where, where can it go and it, this yeah. is the same thing with cops buddy cops were you well, know really I mean the cops partner I mean that really wasn't a big thing in, except for like in the Dragnet series right you mean like, you know, like in the TV? Like it was never really that big of a thing in movies before this. No, yeah, you're right. I mean, aside from you know. Yeah, I mean, there was everyone always had a cop, a partner cop, but it wasn't like about, like you said, it was about Dirty Harry. It wasn't, you know, on TV shows, you have Cagney and Lacey in the early 80s. That's female cops, but cop partners. Seemed much more like a television convention than movies. You know, Kojak, you had Kojak who was, you know, they had to make him a lieutenant because they're like, how can this detective be just bossing everybody around? Well, we'll have him a lieutenant. So he has some sort of, you know, but then once these shows, especially like a TV show, it's hard to, 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 be able to explore these characters in two hours but if you have a tv show and you can explore it through seasons and stuff yeah. you know once you get past you know kojak being an awesome character then you can flesh out his his sur- surrounding squad and then they they become characters as well kojak's brother george savalis and stuff so stavros so you get to see it ends up being an ensemble cast but yeah with hill street blues and stuff like that yeah you really this is the first movie where it's about the the clashing of the two partners and the two partners being equal characters as opposed yeah. to one partner. At least that we can think of. Yeah. I'm I mean, sure somebody might be like, what about this movie? Yeah. And then it's, you know, and then it becomes like, you know, but it becomes a joke near the end of it where you have like, you know, Jim Belushi's with the dog and canine or, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Eastwood and the rookies teamed up with Charlie Sheen or Burt Reynolds is another dog or a kid, you know, it's like, you know, you got to or isn't it, what's it in, in last action hero, they're teaming them up with a cartoon, <laughs> you know, but that's what that's about, you know? So, well, we hope you like this Christmas uh, adventure of uh, Lethal Weapon, our Close last 87. Last 87, last 17. Yeah, um, closing the door. So for all of you that are like, enough with the 87s. We're going to go with 88 next year. <laughs> next year, all, all 88. 88. All 88, 78, <laughs> 68, 08, 98. So uh, we hope you enjoyed the cast. Again, check us out on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter. Check us out on our homepage where we always post extras with the cast coming out. Uh, you can drop us a line on uh, our Facebook page. You can email us on our regular page. You can uh, tweet us on Twitter with the Twixtas. You can retweet, like our stuff, like our posts on Facebook. Uh, rate and review us, please, on iTunes and all those other um, streaming podcast sites that you get your, your podcasts from. Uh, tell some friends. Let people know. Uh, what else you got? Nothing. Nothing else. Merry Christmas. Have a Merry Christmas. Have happy, a happy Hanukkah. Holidays happy everybody. holidays. Happy Kwanzaa. Uh, and uh, we hope you have a good and safe New Year. 
later.